Welcome, our guests. It's a blessing to have you. Um, I would like to rise, for you to rise to your feet this morning and go before the Lord. Lord God, we come before you this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want to thank you, Lord, for this hour. Lord, I pray that through your word this morning that we may again receive a glimpse, a reminder of who you are. Your majesty, your power, the authority that comes from you, O Lord God. May we get a glimpse, may we get a glimpse, O Lord God. May we see clearly, Lord, that we need you. We need your mercy. We need your grace in our lives to to even exist. Lord, we thank you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, humbled himself. You humbled yourself and came to this earth and was even obedient unto death. We thank you, Lord, that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. In all of these things, Lord, may the same mind also be in us. Lord, teach us this morning. Show us. Reveal your word to us. Lord, may our lives bring you honor and glory. We pray, O Holy Spirit, that you be here with us this morning. That you teach. That you minister to our hearts. Let it not be by the power of our flesh, Lord, but that your Holy Spirit, as being the instruments of your word. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord God, that we can come to you as we pray again in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) So, yes, uh, we need the Lord's mercy. If... um, If we think about it, all of us sitting here this morning, many of us feel we're doing pretty good in the Lord. Some of us might feel we need to move out of a complacent, stagnant, dead lifestyle. There's not much happening. There's no truth. There's no life. Some of us wonder if there is hope left at all. Some of us might feel there is no hope at all. The thing is, we're so good at making a facade. And given the impression that everything is all good. When inside a lot of us are crying for help. We, we, we sense a need. We sense an emptiness. Now let me assure you. There is, there is no help for facades, besides destroying them. And then and then, and only 
The grace of God, the mercy of God can move when we move, when we come to Him in honesty, in truth of who we are. And here's the thing. It pertains to all of us sitting here this morning. None of us can exist before our holy God without his grace, without his mercy. <clears throat> no matter where we stand, if we feel we're doing pretty good, <clears throat> no matter where we stand before the Lord this morning, we can be assured that without the mercy and the love of God, <clears throat> we would be without hope. And unless we realize that Christ is our only hope, we are completely, completely lost. And the only way to receive that hope and eternal life is coming before our God in humility. The whole salvation, salvation message is a, is a mystery revealed. That the God and creator of the universe himself showed up. Here on this earth and has given us salvation by which we can be saved from the wrath of God. That's the only way. Nor is there salvation any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So let's, let's look at that. Let's look at the contrast of us as men, as human beings, and God. And Brother John pointed out here that when we come to pray, when we come in prayer, we come before the Lord, our Master, our God. <clears throat> we are in need of His mercy. We are in need of the mercy of God who is powerful. He is almighty. He is our creator God, always has been and always will be. The power and the authority of the word that, that set the worlds in its place is even beyond our comprehension. The power and the authority that was executed changed the universe, changed matter. Moved around molecules, moved around atoms. It's power. In, uh, in Genesis 1, talk, thinking about our God, we can read, it says he, he created light and separated light from darkness. How do you do that? Calling light day and darkness night. We cannot even comprehend that power. The second day, he created an expanse to separate the waters and call it sky. The third day he created the dry ground and gathered the waters, calling the dry ground land. Gathered the water in the gathered water seas. He created vegetation, plants, trees by the power of his word. The fourth day he created the sun, the moon, the stars to give light to the earth and to govern and separate the day and the night. They would serve as signs, marks, seasons, days, and years. 
We could stop right here and talk for a couple hours about the universe, the vastness, the stars that are beyond our comprehension in science, the galaxies that are unnumbered, never mind stars, bodies, the galaxies. They're so far out we cannot even comprehend the distance when they talk about 100,000 light years and so on and so forth. By the power of his word, he created it. Out of nothing, by the power of his word. In day 50, he created the living creatures of the sea and every winged bird, blessing them to multiply and fill the waters in the sky with life. By the power of his word. God created the animals to fill the earth. On day six, God also created man and woman, Adam and Eve, in his own image to commune with him. He blessed them and gave them every creature and the whole earth to rule over, care for, and cultivate. That's where we come in. By the same power of his word, he created us. And of course, in day seven, God had finished his work of creation and he rested on the seventh day, blessing it and making it holy. The power of the word that spoke the world into its place. Think about it for a moment. That power. The God we serve. The God to whom we come to. The power of his word. The power of the word is still there. And always has been. All the events in the Bible, like the flood, was a result of his word. The command of his word. When people had a close encounter with him, they trembled for fear in his presence. When he gave the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel, they trembled. It says, they trembled in his presence. In Exodus 20, verse 18, now all the people witnessed the the thunderings and the lightning flashes, the the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And they said to Moses, you... You speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And they experienced the power and the the mighty, the, the, the almighty creator, God, just speaking. And, and it told Moses, you do it. <clears throat> And here's the thing. That very creator God came to earth to to submit himself to the elements that he had created. I know we don't we don't we don't get it, do we? The very things that he created, the elements the creation, he submitted himself to it, to them, walked under their authority because he loved us. The same authority that which he spoke was still present. Scripture tells us in Philippians 2, 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And when he spoke, 
as recorded in Matthew 7, 28, 29, after the Sermon on the Mount, it says for the people that they were astonished. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Jesus walked here in this earth. He was God in flesh. He fed the multitude. I think it was two times with two fish and five loaves of bread. The same creator God who spoke the world, the universe into its place, was still creating with the power of his word. There was, there was a piece of bread. There was fish. And all of a sudden, there was more. That would be a pretty good way of cooking or baking. All of a sudden, you've got enough food for 5,000 people. <clears throat> See, we, we take the creation story, we take the, te- the, the stories of Jesus, and um, they're, pretty, they're pretty straightforward to us already. We're so familiar with them. But just think about it. There's seven pieces of food here, and all of a sudden, by the power of his word, there's more fish. By the power of his word, there's all of a sudden more loaves of bread there. How can that be? Well, we say he's God. But if we look even a little bit deeper, we see the power of the word of our creator, God. And as John says, he was there at the beginning, at the creation. He was still up to the same business. And he still is today. The power of that word fed the multitude. He turned water into wine. He healed the sick. He brought the dead back to life. The power because of his sinless life conquered death forevermore. And as the king of kings walked around in humility and watched his creation carelessly miss his visitation, and not only that, but reject him as their savior, he told this parable. And I want to go, I want you to turn there. It's in Luke 18. And as, as we read that parable, I want you to, to try to see it as Jesus saw it. He, he was the creator God. He created all things. He created the heavens and the earth. Everything was in his hands. And he, he walked among the people. He observed the people. And he just watched them interact. He watched them how he how they related to him. And he, and he took his disciples and he said to them, it's in Luke 18, verse 9. He spoke this parable to some. And it goes, it goes like this. He spoke this parable to some who, trust, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And right then and there, we usually go back, ah, the Pharisees. Yep, the Pharisees. We're good. Let's be honest this morning. How many of us possess this attitude that we're better 
that we're righteous and we despise others. And it's not too long ago that I found that I read it. Okay, I had it in knowledge, but I've come to realize, even observing my own heart and observing the church, that this pharisaical spirit has so permeated the church on every level. And a lot of times we, but at times we feel as Christians that we've overcome is when that spirit will come after us the most. Especially when we look at people who we feel they've not come as far as we have. And we look back and we, and we try to justify our ways, our actions by looking at other people and despising them. And it's very dangerous. As the minute we start doing that is when we start cutting off the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Just like that. Because all of a sudden, he cannot work in our hearts anymore. He cannot take the power of the word and transform our hearts, conform us into the image of Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit is quenched. They trusted in themselves that were that they were righteous and despised others. So here's the parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So we guessed right, a Pharisee. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. Lord, I'm so glad I'm not like any of them. I am so glad that I'm way above them. Oh, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all I possess. We are so capable of being like this Pharisee. It is human nature when, there, when we have this, this feeling of satisfaction that we maybe have accomplished something. And uh, the, spirit, the spirit of Christ brings humility, but our demic nature swallows in pride. The things that the Pharisee mentioned would be worthy of thanks. I, I mean, we should be thankful that some of these things are overcome. However, what about the inside? When Jesus called him whitewashed tombs, there was all kinds of wickedness. Where is the, the humility that it's only through the power of Christ that we can overcome? Without Christ, we cannot overcome these things. Otherwise, you wouldn't have had to come. We stand before God, and it's only by the grace of God we find victory in our flesh. Verse 13, And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Just think about it. The only thing that he had to say is, God, be merciful. What are we hearing here? Was he lazy? Was he not willing to pray, although the Pharisee prayed? 
No, I think what he saw, what he grasped, was the reality of who God is and who he is. And he prayed, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then he walked it. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. There is no other way coming before the Lord our God but in humility. There is, there is none. No matter what man tries to please God, it will not help. We have to come in humility. Then we have to walk in humility and in obedience. Justified. The judge of all the earth spoke. There is a man that had no trophies compared to the one that seemed to have it in order. And he went to his home justified. How does it work? Well, I believe once we meditate on who Jesus is and observe just a little how he must have felt seeing the self-righteousness, the carelessness, the rejection, we can start to understand how much we need the mercy of God. Who are we? This one psalm that continuously comes into my mind. Who is man that thou art mindful of him? Who is he? This is with that attitude we come before the Lord. Jesus saw a man who rightly discerned the relationship that needs to be with God. And it is in that humility we walk. It is in that humility we respond. It is in that humility we pursue the kingdom of God. It is in that humility we work out our salvation with fear. This is why he said with fear and trembling. Because if we would be without Christ, let's, let's repeat that again. If we would be without Christ, we would be eternally damned. So how, having said that, what is our reproach then coming to the throne? Does that very humility even start to work? When we come before him in prayer, our hearts of thankfulness. Brother John mentioned the opening. <clears throat> he had an interesting way of putting it that our needs aren't too obvious or something. Yeah, and we can so easily get lost and take it for granted. I believe one of the characters that we as Christians have to do is to be reminded that we do not take these needs that are being fulfilled in our lives for granted. It's one of the reasons why we let principle make decisions in our lives versus riches. It is one of the reasons we try to pursue discipline 
and character in our lives so we can rightly discern the things that God has granted us and that with a snap of a finger it can be all gone. It's very dangerous for us and for people to think that we have all these blessings coming our way. And that's general mentality. We, we are people that think that our, our plates have to always be full, that, every, that fairness is, is huge, a huge, huge priority. Uh, all, all these things that entitlement. And it's just our, our Western culture. But every, at least once a day, we need to stop. Just, just stop. Stop all activities. Stop the mind and realize that these are the blessings of God. And we don't have them coming automatically. It is out of the, the mercies of God that we can enjoy them. And we need to come before in thankfulness. And I'm not saying that we should never do anything about it. We should practice things that make these awarenesses, like eating rice and beans. Make an awareness that life could be much rougher than it is now. We, do this, you, we, we have to do these things on a person level, on a church level, to make awareness. We have to understand, we have to come to the place and to understand who God is and who we are. And it's only by the mercies of God that we can be justified. How should we ever be accepted in his presence but by his mercy through the shedding of the blood of Calvary on Calvary? It is only through the humbleness <clears throat> that we show towards God where we find justification. There is no other way to stand before our, our God. It is only then he will start working here where we can experience the power in our life. Only then. And remember we talked about the power of his word. Hebrews 4.12, he still talks about the power of his word. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful. It's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to a division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The power of his word. And we can use this verse in many ways. But one of the ways we can look at this verse is to see and identify if the Holy Spirit can actually work in our lives. If, there is a, if there's a division in our hearts in our flesh, in our pleasures, where the word comes in and rightly divides what's wrong and what's righteous. And if we cannot look back and, and find any testimony of that, if we're honest in our life, then maybe, maybe we have not yet come to God in such a way to experience the power of his word. The same word that created the elements has still the same power. 
but it is our pride that cripples it in our life. In Isaiah 57, he's talking about the healing of the backslidden believer just prior to verse 15. And in 58, he's talking about true repentance and fasting. And talked in this chapter, there is this verse that describes God and who we, how we relate to him. Verse 15 of 57, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and a humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. That's it. It is seeing who he is. Who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. And just because he had made a way to come to him does not mean he came down. It is only then when we receive and clearly understand from the heart of our relationship with God. And from there, it only gets personal and better. The humility that means our relationship with God is what builds our connection with our brothers and sisters. We, can have, we cannot have one without the other. It's impossible. The humility that it takes to come before God and find justification is the same humility that will serve our brothers and sisters. Because it's something that we possess in our hearts. It's something who, it's who we are. And it's not something that we're trying to convince ourselves we are, but it's who we are. Otherwise, we won't find justification. But that humility builds and connects to the body of Christ. <clears throat> Micah has a clear lesson on how to live in a way that helps us cultivate attributes of God in our life. Micah 6, verses 6 to 8, if you want to follow along. He asks this question, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He says, he has shown you, man, what is good, I assume by the law. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? And he names these three acts of love of God for the love of God and for our fellow men that paved the way for a good relationship with him. To be righteous and absolutely fair to all regardless of their status in life. To do justly. To be righteous and absolutely fair when we speak, when we interact with people. Just Justice should be part of who we are. And mercy to show kindness freely and willing to others. Blessed are the merciful. It's against something that the Spirit of God doesn't believe. Mercy comes forth. Not because they're they look different, they sound different, but mercy 
The Spirit of God doesn't have respect of person. And three, to live humbly in a conscience, conscious fellowship of the greatness and sovereignty of God. To live humble in a conscious fellowship of the greatness and sovereignty of God. These three actions will work to glorify God. <clears throat> this is a threefold protection for a person. Protecting a person from being hypocritical, Allah, being a hypocrite in his confession. If you, if you claim to walk humble with God and you do not show mercy to others, then it's, it's not there. If you claim to be merciful with others, are you, are you true and just in all of your dealings? It, it seems to me it's like a three-corded rope. And it, one cannot be without the other. And I've, I found that a lot of times when I observe Christ, when I observe men of God. You cannot have, like, pick four or five attributes, and then two of them are totally amazing. I, I don't think the Spirit of God works that way. It says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. They were all there, full of grace and truth. It wasn't the truth and a little bit of grace. They were all there. And I, I believe one of the working workings of the Holy Spirit in a person's life, in a person's life, is a full consistency of these of attributes of God. So. In a practical sense, what does walking humbly with God look like? So we need to keep in mind the picture <clears throat> that Christ gave in the parable. In true humility coming before God. Knowing that if it weren't, if it weren't for Christ, we would be eternally damned. And Christ is the only way. The mark of humility shows up in all areas of our life. As we deal with sin, with battles... That need to be overcome. Uh, because humility, again, is not just acting lowly and sad-faced. Or knocking yourself down or belittling yourself. Humility is knowing who God is. Knowing of the grace of God. Tasting of the grace of God. And knowing our need for it and accepting our need for it. In one of the things that's on my heart these days is in the recent weeks, we, we talked about a lot about finding victory, wasting time in, in frivolous activities such as media, digital world. We've, we've talked about <clears throat> fulfilling duties in the home as moms, as dads. Fulfilling duties in the church, being faithful, striving together. And all of us have weaknesses. All of us have strengths and weaknesses. And I believe seeing God for who he is and our need in all of that, a person that has come to the knowledge of the truth will show a kind of humility that will accept 
his weaknesses, not trying to hide it. And showing proper humility is going, number one, before the Lord and confessing it. And number two is being open with, with your brothers and sisters that you need help. Hiding weaknesses and hiding sin is not showing, is not going to the Lord in humility. And it's something that has to work in our hearts when we properly see eternity, we properly see who God is to come in humility to know what God can do in our lives and not just belittle it or not or ignore it or run. Many Christians run from these things. They let the void there and they start running and doing all kinds of other things. But the Holy Spirit is ready to deal if we are. We see the holiness of God and we act accordingly. I know we preach a lot about the love of God. But, as, but have, have we ever read and have we ever heard preaching how God hates sin? Have we ever studied in how God hates workers of iniquity? Again, trying to paint a picture of a holy God we serve. God hates workers of iniquity. Now, we've all heard God loves everyone. And he does. If we come to him in humility, he loves us. But if we're defined rebellious, the Bible says in Psalm 5, 5, that God hates the workers of iniquity. Psalm 5, verse 4, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight, you hate all workers of iniquity. God hates the wicked. Psalm 11, 5. The Lord, verse, Psalm 11, starting at verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. God hates the sacrifice of the wicked. Think about that for a moment. One of, one of the classic things is if, if there are struggles and wickedness in our lives, we start running. Then we do Maybe some sacrifice and think we're good. But he hates the sacrifice of the wicked. Proverbs 15, 8, the sacrifice of the wicked is abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Sacrifice. How many have made sacrifice in this world and maybe in our own lives without being justified? He hates it. It's an abomination to him. And the list goes on. God hates the wicked. 
the ways of the wicked. Proverbs 5.59. God hates the thoughts of the wicked. Proverbs 15.27. God, God hates feet and makes haste to run to evil. Proverbs 6.18. God hated Esau. Malachi 1.1-3. Jacob have I loved. God hates the deeds of the Nicol Nic Nicolaitans. Revelations 2.6. He is a God who delights in his people. He is a God who delights in righteousness. And just these attributes, just these truths should create a desire in us to come before in humility. We are serving a righteous God, a holy God that is immovable, unshakable, and he still hates wickedness. But he has made a way to come into his presence, to be the apple of his eye. Yes, he is a God of love, but the only way we can approach him is in humility. The only way we can find justification in his sight is if, is if he extends mercy. And that is only if we walk humbly with our God. Even yet the Bible commends us in Hebrews 4, 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Knowing again who God is, he commands us to come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may attain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. That doesn't mean we can come before him in self-righteousness, in thinking we've got it all right, but boldly having assurance in his promises and in all humility who he is. The picture is like Queen Esther. In in Book of Esther, verses chapter five, it's a picture of how we come before God. If you remember the story, the law of the land was you don't come uninvited into the presence of the king, unless the king accepts your approach by extending a scepter. The approach, the throne there could have severe consequence and even death. And verse 1, it says, like it goes like this. Now, it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes. She put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace, across from the king's house, while the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house, facing the entrance of the house. So it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, that she found favor in his sight, and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. The king held, held out to Esther the golden scepter that, that was in his hand as a token of his well-pleasingness in her and acceptance of her, that no harm should come to her for transgressing the law. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter, as, not, as acknowledging his kindness and her thankfulness for it, as well as sub, subjection and obedience to him. So is the picture of us coming before the Lord. As the queen was clothed in appropriate royalty, so we come before our God clothed in humility. And the king said to her, what do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It should be given to you uh, to have the kingdom. Beautiful picture of coming into the throne room of God. He given more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
our continual conscious awareness in the presence of God should be, had it not been for the love of Jesus, we would have no hope. This is how our life needs to be framed. And may Jesus look at our prayer, our hearts, and say, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. We won't find justification if we trust in ourselves, in our, rich, in our righteousness, and despise others. So may God have mercy on us. Amen. A good psalm to read on, on the heels of that is Psalm 103. <clears throat> 